Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. Welcome into the Mac Report Podcast. The band is back together. Ian, it feels good to be back. How are you? Thanks for filling in last week, too, by the way. Yeah, no problem. Welcome back. Uh, hope you uh, enjoyed your enjoyed your trip, and I hope you enjoyed those banana and uh, those banana smoothies wherever wherever you were posted up. Yes. Yeah, we tried our best to enjoy the trip. No, it was great. <laughs> it was good to be away. Uh, we haven't taken a vacation that long in. God, like four years. Like I've done some weekend stuff, but like I've never gone away for a week. I haven't gone away for a week since COVID. It was it, it was right the last time I did it was right before COVID. Like I came back and then the world closed three weeks later. So so I, I hope you don't get into a similar situation then, since it, that was that was the last time that you took a trip and this was the first time since. I hope you don't have history repeat itself. Yeah, well, it was scaring me. We were talking. My wife and I were talking about this on the plane on the way back. So you've got. The fact that the last time we took a vacation like this, it was you know, significant travel. Uh, it was just the four of us, my wife and my and my two kids. We got back, and less than a month later, the world closed. That year was also a Chiefs 49ers Super Bowl. And, and we were like kind of going through all the similarities, and, and we were like, uh, this, this just – Something about this doesn't feel good. <laughs> so it, it would have it would have also been a leap year too, right? You that's know? right. <laughs> and not to bring politics into it, but it also would have been a presidential <laughs> election year, just like this one will be. Yeah, yeah. So we're hoping to avoid a, a similar fate, or else I can just never go on vacation again. Apparently, it's going to be. Yeah, you're, you're working for the rest of your time, and you're never allowed to take vacation. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so it it was good though, but it's also good to good to be back. Uh, we'll start with some hockey stuff because I did well. I'd say I watched both games. I watched, I watched a good chunk of Friday's game before I just turned it off because I had seen enough. Uh, and then, and then I watched uh, most of, uh, if not actually, I saw you know probably ninety nine percent of of Saturday's game, uh, not live but but on demand. I watched it on the on the way home yesterday. Thanks to by the way, tremendous like hat tip to JetBlue uh, for their Wi Fi. Unbelievable, best Wi Fi I've ever had on a plane. There you go. By far. I mean, you can never stream video on the free Wi-Fi on a plane. It's it's impossible. Uh, but JetBlue, hold up, ESPN Plus, worked perfect. I uh, was able to watch the full game, not even not even a single buffering time. Like it was it was great. So nice. That's why I spent my my flight back. Uh, but yeah, so let's kind of start with talking about a Jekyll and Hyde weekend. Uh Friday night, from what I saw before I just turned it off, uh maybe one of the worst games they've played all year. To Saturday night, kind of snapping back into it a little bit, and not maybe not one of the best games they've played all year, but certainly uh, notable for the reaction uh, uh, to to the Friday game to have that type of effort to come back and beat UNH at home 
after such a significant defeat on on Friday against BU. Yeah, I I really like the way they responded on Saturday night against a good New Hampshire team, a team that just beat them a week prior um, by a three to one final. Um, so there was that, but also just after getting your teeth kicked in the night before, seven to one down at BU, it was like, okay, well, what, what what's the attitude? What's the mindset of the team going to be coming back home? You know, in some instances, you can you can really make a case of teams are like, okay, well. I guess that's kind of it. That was the nail in our coffin. You know, we went on the road, you know, played a played a good BU team and just we didn't have anything to show for it. And they bounced back the next night. They put together a relatively solid 60-minute performance. I won't I won't say that it was a a perfect 60-minute game, but it was for the most part a very solid uh performance from them on Saturday night and a good way to respond after Friday. Yeah, so I, I, we've talked about expected goals before, and I've written about it. It's not a perfect stat, but I think it does kind of encompass shot in shot shots on goal, but also shot quality. Like basically, every shot is given a, a a percentage of a chance that that would result in a goal based on the history of all the shots taken over the course of the year. Uh, and what I found interesting looking at it, I was looking at this yesterday. We talk about how you can play well and lose, and you can not play well and win. Well, if you go by the expected goals over the last four games, Merrimack should be four and one. They're one and four. <laughs> so, but I think it's an indication that, like, over the last couple of weeks, if you go back to that second uh, Northeastern game, because this is where that, that streak kind of started, that 4 1 loss to Northeastern at home, uh, expected goals in that game were 4.1 to 3.6. Merrimack was better by half a goal there. They were better by, uh, just slightly, only 0.1 goals uh, in the the home game against UMass at three to two loss. So that was essentially a tie. Uh, but Merrimack slightly better uh, on the road at UNH three one loss. The expected goals they were plus 0.7, 3.3 to 2.6. Uh, the BU game obviously that's the one where they were expected to lose and they did lose. The final score is seven to one. They, the expected goal total there five point five to two. Uh, the scoring chances in that game on Friday night, by the way, 23 to nine for BU. Uh, and then they beat New Hampshire three to one on Saturday, expected goals in that game, 3.3 to two and a half, which also I think uh, is a good sign for Hugo Olas, who started that game on Saturday, only gave up one goal, was expected to give up two and a half. So a lot of good signs there, but I think you can look back and say, look, it, it's been, it's not like they've been blowing teams out and expected goals, expected to win by more than a goal or a goal and a half a game. They've been just, you know, slightly better than their opponents in four out of the last five games. They've only had one win to show for it, but I, I think that gives you a little bit of hope. And we're not talking about pairwise in the NCAA tournament because that doesn't even matter anymore. They're going to have to win Hockey East in order to get into the NCAAs. But I, I think there is something there where you look at it and can say, you know what, they they could probably still contend for home ice. I, I think that there's a chance. It's, it's an outside chance. The odds are still, uh, the, the mathematical odds anyway, are still saying that they're going to probably finish in the bottom three and be on the road in the first round. But there is definitely still a chance that they could crack that top eight and end up with a home ice spot in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, I just think the one big thing, we've talked about this before here, right, is the fact that you're looking at the standings and ahead of them, Vermont has three games in hand. Uh, they'll head up to Vermont this weekend to play the Catamounts in a pair up at Gutterson Fieldhouse Friday and Saturday. So, big six points coming up this weekend and you're five points behind Vermont who's tied with Northeastern for that final 
uh, home ice spot in the first round, sitting in eighth. So that's one thing. Vermont has three games in hand. Northeastern has a pair of games in hand, and North, uh, New Hampshire also has a pair, uh, has three games in hand on them. So that's you're going to need a little yeah. bit of help. You're going to need some help here down the stretch, and you know, just kind of looking ahead here. You know, Northeast uh, New Hampshire this weekend has a pair at home against Maine. You know, so you you could get a little bit of help there if New Hampshire somehow finds a way to drop both games at home this weekend to Maine. But the way that those two teams have played, you know, over the years and how big of a rivalry those two programs are with one another, you never know what you're going to get. So that's one thing. But you just got to look at what's in front of you. And this weekend, you got two games on the road against a team sitting directly in front of you in the standings. Take care of business there first and then worry about what happens with everybody else secondly. And the funny thing is, is you talk about kind of how it lines up mathematically. You look at it right now and say, okay, well, they're chasing Vermont, they're chasing Northeastern, and they definitely are. Uh, I agree with you. I mean, they go up to Northeast or to Vermont this weekend and don't come home with at least five points. We can pretty much stop talking about even home ice at that point because uh, the separation is just going to be too much, especially with games in hand. Uh, the way the projected standings look, look at right now, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Connecticut is projected to finish in eight with 28 points. Merrimack projected to finish in 10th with just under 20, like 19.9 points. So just under 20. So you're basically separated by about eight points from Connecticut is really the team they're probably chasing. I don't know that they'll be able to catch Northeastern. Uh, Northeastern's got an easier schedule on the way out. If you look at the team's that they're going to be competing with for, for home ice. Northeastern probably has the, not probably from a, a mathematical standpoint, you look at the strength of schedule ratings has the easiest schedule on the way out. Plus they have a five point lead. Plus they have two games in hand. So it's going to be really hard. I think to catch Northeastern, I think they'll also jump UConn because of that. So uh, then it becomes, okay, well, who's going to finish ahead UConn or Vermont. And it, it, the math still says that UConn finishes slightly ahead of Vermont and probably finishes an eighth. With Vermont uh, right now projected to finish in ninth, Merrimack in 10th, UConn in 11th. So you're probably chasing UConn for that last spot, but you might be chasing Vermont if they go on a run here. That, that's why this weekend's huge. If if they come home with anything, honestly, anything less than five points, uh, you're, you're not going to be able to probably even finish with home ice. Because even a split, even a split means that they're still five points out of a home ice spot. At the very least, and that's assuming Northeastern gets swept by by Lowell, but now they only have three games left in the hockey schedule because of a bye week that's coming up right after this. So yeah. there's just not yeah. enough. There's not going to be enough time to catch them at that point. So the the point this this is the make or break weekend for home ice. They and, and it's like I don't know that they need to sweep, but they need like an overtime win and a regulation win. Uh, you know, in real in reality, they need to sweep in order to to really still give themselves a, a somewhat of a chance at home ice. Anything less than five points, I think we're almost guaranteed uh, a, a road game uh, on the first round in the first round for Merrimack in the playoffs. That, that's what I would say. Yeah, no, I definitely think that's fair. Um, just just kind of looking ahead, right? Vermont, had, you know, they came out of the gate. They started off pretty well, strung a few wins together, but over the course of the last couple of weeks, they've come, they've come back down to, back down to earth a little bit and you know for a team that not a lot of people expected a whole lot out of i guess this is maybe kind of where we you know where, where we saw them you know would start to simmer out they lost to northeastern they got swept by bu up at vermont a couple weeks ago um 
their last regulation win was the 26th of January uh, against New Hampshire. They then lost the following night to New Hampshire, 6-3. to three, And then this weekend, they picked up a pair of shootout wins on the road at Lowell. So um, they've come back down to earth a little bit. Um, in, in conference, uh, they're 5-8-3. Um, so just slightly better than Merrimack uh, after this weekend. Um, but I, I, like you said, th- this weekend you need at least a minimum of you know five points. Yeah, yeah. Because a- after this, so you've got the Vermont weekend coming up here, and then they have the next weekend off. They don't play until two weeks from this third, two weeks Mar- from Thursday, March, Mar- uh, February twenty eighth, and or February twenty ninth and March first, a Thursday, Friday with Providence. Exactly. So that week, and you're only talking about three games left after this too in the regular season. So they'll they're going to run out of time quickly here. What you really need, if you're Merrimack, this is what you need. You, you need to sweep this weekend, and then you need some help next weekend while you have the bye. And if the stars align perfectly, they may go into the last two weeks of the season with a shot at home ice. If that were to happen, it's an outside chance. Like I, I think it's still in play. I don't think it's likely, I, you know, and I think the odds are, are heavily stacked against home ice at this point, but I, I at least think there's a sliver of a chance that they could slide into that eighth spot, depending upon what happens with Vermont and Vermont and Yukon specifically because i think northeastern is going to stay in a little bit of a run uh, northeastern is going to play yukon so that could kind of determine who it is that you're chasing if you're merrimack you'd rather be chasing uh you'd rather be chasing yukon at this point because you have a better at least head-to-head record with them uh they've got you uh, northeastern in a home and home they've got bu in a home and home so that that's a tough night uh a tough weekend for them on the 23rd and 24th because they're off this weekend and then UConn's got Vermont to close out the year on the 7th, which is earlier than anybody else on, Mar- on March 7th, yeah. Thursday. So you'll kind of know, you'll know where, look, before they play their last game on March 9th, they're going to know where UConn is because UConn will have played on Thursday, the 7th, and that's it for them. They're done. So I, if they're alive going into that last game on the 9th against BC, they're going to know it. But again, I mean, the reason why I say it's a only a, a sliver of a chance is it probably requires a split uh, is probably, excuse me, probably requires a sweep this weekend and then nothing less than a two in one stretch against Providence and BC. And that's the bare minimum. And even then they're going to need some help. You know, it's, it's quite possible. They could win out and not get, you know, so it's definitely not likely, but it's, there's at least a, a smattering of a chance there as small as it may be. Yeah, you mentioned the the big thing, right? Next weekend, or you know, a week from now, right? When we're we're talking about the the week of the twenty third and twenty fourth here, um, B UConn UConn has a pair with BU, a home and home, and then Vermont is at Boston College, uh, for a pair next weekend as well. So I mean, you could get you could get some of that help you might need next weekend, but again, it's that help is all a it's no longer a a valid point or a a talking point for us if you go on out this weekend and you know you know you you don't put forth a good effort and and come back with some points yeah and realistically you probably need to sweep uh speaking of which uh i feel like we've talked about this for two months now uh going into friday hugo all starts on saturday like i said a good night for him uh, makes uh, well only gives up the one goal 
uh, how many saves did he have on on Saturday? He had 21 saves, one goal on 22 shots. Expected goals against were two and a half. So definitely, you know, technically saved one and a half goals based on those, those analytical numbers. Um, do you go with him on Friday at Vermont? I, I think I, I probably would. would. But again, <laughs> uh, that's me. You know, other people can disagree. We haven't really seen them stick with a guy here, uh, even though, you know, they, they've Scott Bork has talked about it. It just hasn't, the, the situation almost hasn't really presented itself. Uh, there's been a couple of times where I thought they would go with one guy over the other, and they, they still have kind of alternated coming out of this last weekend. I, I at least think on Friday, you got to go with Hugo again. And, and I'm not saying that one game is enough to, for me to say he's your starter for the rest of the year. Uh, but I think you start him on Friday because Saturday went well. And then you see what, ha- again, uh, reevaluate and you'd make the decision on, on Saturday. Once you know what happened on Friday, that, that's kind of where I'm at still, but coming out of the weekend, I would probably go with Hugo again uh, on Friday night. And then it, it, really you're taking this thing one game at a time. It would, it would seem like. Yeah. I mean, I necessarily, I'm not, I'm not putting all the, all the blame on Friday night on Zachary Borgil either. No. It's, it's one of those things where it's just like, again, shorthanded, you know, you got guys out of the lineup. You got five defensemen out there again for the second game in a row, and then we saw him roll it out again on Saturday night for a third game in a row. And Scott Bohr kind of mentioned that last week when we were talking to him post game up in New Hampshire. It was, you know, th- this is kind of where we are with our lineup, and you know, it's not a thing of oh, okay, well, we want to do this. It's more of a well, this is this is where we are. We're stuck here. We can't we can't do anything more about it. You know, we we got guys in the lineup that are healthy and we get guys that want to be in the lineup that can't play that aren't healthy. So, um, yeah. And they gave up in, in what's not on the goalie is they gave up 23 scoring chances. That's oh, an insane yeah. number. You yeah. know what I mean? It, it's like the second or third most they've given up all year. I think they gave up more against BC in one game in one of those games. And they gave up more to BU in one of the earlier games back in the beginning of December. You have 23 scoring. Chance. I mean, that the goalie doesn't control the fact that they gave up 23 scoring chances. And a lot of that had to do with, like you said, the fact that they're missing, you know, two of arguably their best defensemen, three of their best defensemen with Mike Brown out of the lineup. Who's been out all year. Yeah. And that doesn't help. And you get guys that, you know, are, are locked down defensemen and guys that you can roll out there with the likes of, you know, especially in Friday's situation, a guy in Macklin Celebrini who you know you're going to see get, you know, 20, 22 minutes of ice time a night, you you know he's going to be out there a lot. He, Jay Pandolfo gets the last change and everything like that. So you, you're losing a couple of guys that can just be locked down guys and, you know, really prevent the other team's top line from creating scoring chances. And, you know, you just mentioned it, 23 scoring chances, That's that's anything but you know, preventing scoring chances on a night. Yeah. And, and the biggest thing I was happy about to see on, on Saturday too, was the fact that the goal scoring was a little more in line with their expected goals. Like we, I would think I wrote about that before I went away that North, that second Northeastern game, the one, you know, projected to win 4.1 to 3.6. They only scored one goal in that game. So they were three goals less than expected in that game. They were one goal less than expected against UMass. They were 2.3 goals less than expected against New Hampshire last two weeks ago. Uh, they were even a goal less than expected against BU. They, they, got, they lose game 7-1. They were expected to score two there. Uh, and then on Saturday, you know, they scored three. Their expected goals were 3.3. That's that's just about right in line. But this was the team that was struggling to score goals over this five game. That's the biggest reason why they were 1-4 and four 
in a stretch where you know it looked like they should have been four and one, it was a lack of finish. They couldn't score any goals. So the fact that the the goal scoring came back a little bit on Saturday, I think, is a promising sign, especially considering some of the guys that have been out. Now again, they get some guys back, which certainly helps. Alex Jeffries, he scored on Saturday, uh, so that that's going to help uptick those that that goal number a little bit. Uh, but that to me, the goaltending and the defensive stuff aside, what was most promising for me was the fact that okay, they they scored. <laughs> They scored some goals on Saturday, at least in line with what was expected, because they had some games going into that where it was, you know, they, they were just underperforming by at an incredible amount when it came to goal scoring. Yeah, I mean, well, we've talked about it, right? You got guys like Alex Jeffries who are out of your lineup, and you know he's going to create scoring chances for you night in, night out. And when he's out of the lineup for three, four weeks at a time, and it's not the first time that it's happened this year, unfortunately. So it's it's been a reoccurring issue. You, you're gonna you're gonna take a hit in those numbers, and you're you're not gonna be able to put up the same opportunities and the same quality ch- number of chances, you know, as you would with a guy like him in your lineup. Yeah, I mean, he still leads the team in points per game, even though he's missed ten or uh, eleven games. Excuse me, this year, uh, in terms of points per game, he leads the team twenty points in eighteen games. Thirteen of those, by the way, goals. Uh, he's a guy that is would have had he been able to to play a full regular season. You know, if he were to get you thirty four games that he had been healthy all year, and he's on pace for somewhere around twenty four, twenty five goals, which is would have been the most. Man, I, I don't remember a last time a Merrimack player has hit the twenty goal mark. Honestly, um, DaCosta didn't do it. He was under twenty in both of his years. Yeah, I think he finished with eighteen and. 16 15 something like that I, I know he i know he had 14 as a sophomore uh the year they went the 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 year they went to the ncaa tournament he had more goals i think as a freshman um uh, I, I believe I, I think chris barton had gotten close this is going back 10 years well i guess 14 years uh he had gotten close but i don't think he ever hit 20 uh you know we may be honestly the last time wow the last time they've had a 20 goal score May have been like 2002. Um, I'm trying to look here. Yeah, well, 2000, 2002, Anthony Aquino had 24 goals. Ryan Cordero had 20. That may have been the last time they had a 20-goal score on their team. <laughs> it's It's been a long time since they've had a player score 20 goals. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and uh, Jeffries, I mean, look, he would have been on pace for that had he been healthy all year. He would have eclipsed it you know, by, by a healthy margin. And even still... Five games left in the regular season, plus you know at least one game in the playoffs. He could he score seven goals in the next six games, seven games if they were to get that far. Yeah, I think so. Uh, he's done it before. You know, he's he's been that type of guy. Uh, now I don't know if he's a hundred percent. Yeah, that's kind of the big question. Is he a hundred percent? Just coming off of an injury, probably not. So again, you talk about even with home ice, the likelihood of it happening is is not is not very high. But uh, I think if just in terms of the type of impact. That, that he can have, he probably would have been the first 20-goal scorer on this team since 2002, so 22 years. Um, because Mike Collins was close but never hit 20. Uh, and and Chris Barton, I just found it here, Chris Barton hit hit 19 uh, in, in 2010. So he was also close but never hit 20. So uh, that's the type of impact he would have had this year, again, mathematically on pace for had he been healthy. So and look, there's still an outside chance, chance he can't even get there, which would be uh, you know, incredible given the, the 
time that he's missed this year to still to still score 20 goals when you've missed 11 games is is incredible. Uh, it would require you know pretty much a goal per game from here on out, actually a little bit more than that. Uh, but it's not necessarily out of the realm of possibility if he goes on some sort of tear here. Um, you know, you look at, he had a, a stretch there. What was it here, Ian? Um, was it back around Thanksgiving? Yeah, it was when he first yeah, came back. He had, two yeah, against he had, Maine, hat trick yep. against UConn. He had five in two games right there. <laughs> um, and even if you go back to before he was hurt, you know, he's got four goals in his last five games. So he's he's gone on on tears like this before, but it just it just goes to show you it, it, what could have been, you know, had he been healthy all year, the type of season he could have had uh, had had he been able to avoid some injuries. It's just it's unfortunate because it would have been, uh, without question, it would have been one of the top offensive seasons uh, the program has seen in 20-plus in years. Yeah, and you know, just kind of looking forward too, right? If you're gonna try and get into the home ice picture, a heater from him would absolutely be more than more than welcome. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You almost so, need it. <laughs> you almost yeah, need it. if you, if you want if you want one person to turn around and try and lead the charge here, it'd be him. Yeah, I think you know, and and this is not a slight on anybody else because like Matt Capone is a really good one on one player too, uh, but. To me, just in terms of all the intangibles, all of the tools, the one guy that can kind of just take over a game uh, is Jeffries. And, and a lot of that is based on just size and strength. You know, he, there's times where he picks up the puck and goes into another gear, and you're just like, man, no one, no one else can do that. They've got some talented players, but but no one else can kind of hit that other gear that he can hit. And a lot of it is just based on size. He is so much stronger than he was as a freshman. It's not even funny, uh, just how much uh, how much size he's put on, and just physically how much stronger he is uh, in terms of being able to muscle off guys, but also in the the power of his stride uh, when it comes to skating. Like he can just kind of pull away from guys now. He's he's a difference maker. He's a difference maker, and that's what. It's a reason why I think, you know, he's the guy that in situations like this, which is what they're in now, they're going to lean on him to to be a guy that can maybe deliver a goal a game. Can he do it when he's not 100%? Because, you know, look, he's healthy enough to play, but is he 100%? Probably not. I mean, let's be honest. You're coming off of an injury where he, he had to miss, uh, you know, close to a month or just about a month. I, I, I think the... I think saying he's a hundred percent is probably a little bit of a stretch. He's probably still a little banged up, but trying to do whatever he can to, to contribute, which is commendable. Uh, it's just, can he do that at less than a hundred percent? That that's what we, what we have to see. Yeah, no, that definitely you, you, you need, you need max capacity and you need it right now. It's, it's as simple as that. You can't have anything less than someone that's not willing to go out there and, you know, take as many opportunities as they, as they get presented to him. So, the charge starts now, Mike, and it starts yes. on the road. Speaking of uh, charges that have been starting, how about that Merrimack mixed basketball team? How about Jordan Durkak and Bud Clark? Oh, my God. Talk about explosions over the weekend. Yeah. Um, I So I'll be honest with you. I didn't see any of these games. Uh, I saw highlights of both of them, but I did not see uh, enough to to really have an opinion on, on how they necessarily played in these games. But, I mean, we're up to six wins in a row here, all in league play. Uh, so they've set themselves up. Well, in the NEC, uh, Durkak is starting to kind of pull away as the potential player of the year. Clark is in, in the league. Clark is starting to pull away as potential rookie of the year in the league. Um, you know, it seems like they're starting to really put some things together here. Yeah, Coach Gallo really hinted at that after Saturday's performance. I mean, 
what really stuck out to me was in that set the second half they they used a three and a half almost four minute stretch of holding Lemoyne without a point and it went from what was a eight or a nine point game at that at that point to all of a sudden it got stretched to the league got up to like 14 or 15 something like that and Gallo again he talked about it it was the ability for them to you know do what they do best they create havoc and when they're capitalizing and they're preventing other teams from scoring every time you're getting those bonus possessions off of turnovers it's chances to you know uh outscore your projection it's a chance to really distance yourself i mean this is a team that we talked about at the beginning of the year. They weren't sure what to expect, having lost the likes of Jordan Miner and Ziggy Reed inside. They went out to the transfer portal, and they brought in guys like Samba Diallo and Jacob O'Connell, a couple of bigger guys, to try and fill those roles. But at the same time, we've seen the growth of Jordan Durkak and Bud Clark's come in as a freshman, and and he's produced. And that's that's the biggest thing. You're not sitting here talking about, okay, well, if they could just get a little bit more out of this guy as a as a freshman, right, you know, maybe you get him to develop a little bit more in his ball handling skills. Bud Clark has some of the best ball handling abilities I've seen as a from a, a point guard at Merrimack in a while. And we've seen, you know, guys like Javaris Hayes, who's now on the coaching staff here. And it, it's just, it's unbelievable to see. This is a team that has found ways that they didn't necessarily knew they were going to need to find ways to win hockey games. Uh, hockey games. Look at me. I'm thinking hockey all the time. Uh, they found ways to win basketball games this year. Um, it's just beyond impressive. I mean, the last loss for this team you talked about, it's been six games since they lost on the uh, They lost at, uh, at home against Wagner, 71, 65. Um, and then the game before that, they lost to Central Connecticut. So the only two losses they've had in this conference have come back-to-back, and they had three wins in conference before those two losses, and since those two losses, they've hammered out six in a row. They have a chance to get it to seven as they take on a Stonehill team that they've already beaten earlier this year. They beat them by 16 at home on the 21st of January, 63-47. Um they know what to expect. This is another Stonehill team that likes to run a lot of zone. And I'm sure that, you know, after all the film study and review that, that Gallo and crew have found ways to make things more difficult on that Stonehill zone than Stonehill will be able to do on the Merrimack side of things. Then they follow it up with LIU on Saturday. And there's a chance by the time this team comes home, you know, for their final home game on senior night, the 22nd of, of February, you know they could be looking at potentially locking up the one seed in the in the conference and potentially home court throughout the uh, NEC playoffs. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, they're they're looking at this. Not only did we not know where they were going to go when they lost Ziggy Reed and Jordan Minor, I mean, I'd argue in the numbers bear it out. They're better than they were last year. Not not only did did they figure it out, they're better. You could make the argument that this is the best team they've ever had. Uh, they're right now. And again, these these are Ken Palm numbers, which is a uh, a, a website that Ken Palm Ken Palmer he analyzes college basketball. He's got some of his own metrics and, and analytics that people take deep dives into, and uh, he's got them ranked 200th in the country right now out of 360 something teams, however many there are. 
the the best they have ever been was 227. So they're 100 spots better than they were last year. They finished last year 309. Their defense right now is 57th in the country in adjusted defense. They were 101 last year. Uh, their offense was 360 last year. It's 329 this year. They're going to rank low in offense just because of, of the way that it works. But, you know, it's it's they're better in a lot of categories than they were a year ago, which is crazy. And if you look at where they rank in the NEC, they're number one in defensive efficiency, field goal percentage against, turnover percentage, three-point percentage against, two-point percentage against, steal percentage, uh, non-steal turnover percentage. Uh, they're, they're number one in almost almost every defensive category in, in the league. Like, it's it's crazy. They are better than they were a year ago, despite losing arguably their three best players, if you include Javon Bennett in there. I mean, yeah. they arguably lost their three best players, and they're better than they were a year ago. Yeah, I mean, on Saturday, they, they turned over LeMoyne 23 times, and they turned those 23 turnovers into 30 points. It's amazing. There's your there's your ball game right there. Yeah. I mean, you, you're averaging well over a point off of off a turnover. It's just like I, I don't I don't understand how teams are you know, they gotta try and find ways to stay in ball games. Well, because of the way that this team runs and this way the team just operates on the defensive side of the ball, if you're not taking care of the ball on your own side of things, forget about it. It's going to be a long night. And it turned into that on Saturday. Like I said, with that three and a half, four minute stretch of Lemoyne going scoreless. And they, they use that little run to take a nine point lead and turn it into a 15 or a 16 point lead with about four minutes and change before Lemoyne finally hit a bucket. And at that point it was just too little too late. Yeah. 21 and six uh, in their last 27 NEC games. I mean, that that's a pretty good run. Uh, and again, I think a lot of that is, as we talked about uh, on one of our earlier podcasts, it's the fact that they're, they're just, they're so diverse in the way they can attack. There's nights where it's going to be Devin Savage just, you know, hitting six threes and he leads you to a victory. There's nights where Durkett's going to score 34 and he's going to lead you to a victory. There's nights where Clark can score 20 something and lead you to a win. There's nights where Jacob O'Connell will score 26 points and led you to a win. And on most of those nights, not, not entirely, but on most of those nights, uh, as a unit of eight, nine guys, however many guys are in that rotation, they're arguably not arguably they're the best defensive team uh in the nec and one of the top defensive teams statistically in the country regardless of league uh which is which is saying something so i mean that that to me is it's been the perfect storm of a versatile offense that can attack you in a number of different ways if something's not working one night they've got other places they can go to try to get points and then their defense is just consistently the best yeah it, when when you play as well as as you do defensively, you're going to give yourself more opportunities to win basketball games than you are going to lose them. Um, it's it's one of those things where defense truly does lead to championships and the way that Coach Gallo and his, his coaching staff have, you know, understood what it takes in this league. And, you know, yeah, there might be nights where you need to put up 50, 60, 75 points, whatever it might be. But there are other nights where you can turn over a team 23 times and only put up 60 points and win a ball game. Mm -hmm. So 
51 points would have done it on Saturday, and they ended up putting up 66. So it was uh, it was good to see. And I think we saw it even earlier in the year. You know, we didn't know it, but when they're leading, and, and again, they didn't win these games, but when they're, they should have beaten Georgetown, you know, if not for a controversial call. And I know Georgetown's not what they used to be, but still. Um, but when they should have beaten Georgetown and when they were leading Florida at the half uh, and when they were competitive with Cincinnati at the half, I, I think you kind of saw glimpses of it then. Uh, and, and it's just, it's, it's resulted in an explosion here in NEC play, which is what you kind of would have expected. But uh, in any event, uh, Ian, that is what's going on. Um, where are you this weekend? I know there's some basketball games at home, uh, hockey's on the road. Uh, what are your plans for the weekend? Where can people find you? Uh, I have a pair of women's games, which also shout out to the women's program. They yes. picked up a big, much needed, uh, split over the weekend um, as they went up to New Hampshire and responded with a two to one overtime win on Saturday after dropping uh Friday night decision three to two at home and um, raised so off they, by the way, for being, yes. I, for, for being a finalist for the hockey Humanitarian award. Yes. Uh, one of five finalists. I, we should mention that. I meant to mention that earlier. Yeah, she was, she's um she's been a leader, not only in the locker room for the program for a while, but also in the community. She helped put together, um, the the uh, ceremony, excuse me, that they had. It was a young young girl who recently got diagnosed with a battle of leukemia, and they brought her and some of her teammates and her friends out from one of the local youth hockey groups, and you know they they brought her out onto the ice, and she even got a little special pregame message from uh, from her favorite Bruin and Charlie McAvoy ahead of the game on on Friday night. So that was great to see, and led by race and uh, and everything like that. So congratulations to her and the uh, women as well. So. I'll be there Friday and Saturday afternoon, four o'clock puck drops both days. Um, I do not have basketball this weekend. I will be back in Lawler for basketball next Thursday night um, on the 22nd. You can find me on Twitter at Ian Bow and on TikTok, PA Guy Bo. Uh, I don't know where I'll be yet. I got to figure that out, <laughs> but I'll, I'll be somewhere. We'll have coverage either way, though, of course. Uh, Ian, thanks for the time. As always, quick break. We'll be back in a moment here on the Mac Report Podcast. I'm Cole Caulfield, and I played college hockey. I'm Adam Fox, and I played college hockey. I'm Jake Gensel, and I played college hockey. I'm Johnny Gaudreau, and I played college hockey. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. For more information, Visit collegehockeyinc.com. All right, here again with the head coach of the Merrimack men's hockey team, Scott Bork, getting ready for a, a weekend series up in Vermont, two games up in Burlington this weekend. But let's kind of look back first uh, at the games this past weekend. Uh, BU was at, was at BU on Friday night and then coming back home to uh, put a win up on the board against UNH on Saturday. Just kind of looking back as last weekend as a whole, uh, what are some of your biggest takeaways from, from this past weekend? Well, I, I, what I really liked from our team was our resiliency and uh, our bounce back after a tough one on Friday. Um, you know, obviously, BU is a very good team. It got away from us in the last 22 minutes of the game. I thought we had played well up until that point, and, and we're in a position to be in the game and a goal away from really being in it. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we didn't play as well, and they stretched us out. You know, they took the game going away, but. You know, we were a pretty discouraged bunch getting on that bus on Friday night. 
Um, and I was really impressed with the bounce back going into Saturday and then Saturday night during the game. I, I thought that our guys really answered the bell, and I was really pleased for them more than anything else. Yeah, that's got to be really tough mentally to, to bounce back after a loss like Friday with no time. Like it's not like you got a week in between where you kind of can erase it in practice and stuff like that. It's less than twenty four hours later, you're, you're back on the ice again. So I mean, is it a, it's one of those situations where it's almost good that you get another crack at it right away, or, or can it almost be more difficult where there's not a ton of time to to kind of block it out mentally? No, I think in the situation like we had, it was really good that we got to play Saturday and. Really good that we got to play at home. Um, you know, I think it was helpful. You know, we didn't change our lineup really because we didn't have anyone to change it with. Uh, but our guys that played really did a great job. And I was really, uh, you know, I just, I thought right from the beginning of that game, you know, we were kind of the aggressor. And uh, coming off what had happened the night before, I was nervous about that with our guys. But <clears throat> I was really impressed with the way they, you know, started the game and, and finished it. Uh, you know, during the second period, there were times I thought we could have stretched that game out, which we weren't able to do. Um, and I think that, you know, being able to stay with it when you've had such a struggle as we've had here in the second half uh, was a really good sign for our group. You talked about some of the personnel, you know, almost really not being able to make any changes, even if you wanted to. Uh, what, how does that look going into the week? And the guys that were out last weekend, do you think you'll get any of those guys back or, or any updated status on any of those guys? Uh, well, we're hopeful on uh, Bookman. You know, we'll we'll actually he'll skate tomorrow morning and and see if we can get him in. We're hopeful there that would give a sixth defenseman, which would be great. Um, and then um, up front, you know, Stevenson played in the game, um, and you know did well and came out of it well. Uh, Jeffries played in the game and came out of that well. Uh, so I think we'll have uh, those guys. Um, for sure, which is great. You know, they've practiced this week, um, you know, really their first full week of practice of the second semester. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm happy that we've been able to get that. And now uh, Ethan Bono looks like he might be available, I think probably available for Saturday for sure, maybe for tomorrow. Um, and then uh, Mac Walsh is not available, and obviously Tyler Young uh, isn't either. But um, that Mac's going to be a little while, and, you know, Tyler's obviously out for the year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been tough, but it, does it almost feel like, you know, knock on wood, you're starting to see the other side of it? I mean, the, the situation you were in was kind of, oh, you know, it was, it was, I've never seen a team, you know, only have five healthy defensemen. Like, it just doesn't, you, it's crazy how that kind of happens. I, you still get some guys out, so not completely on the other side of it, but does it start starting to feel like a little more normal uh, back at maybe practice this week where at least more of those guys are available than have been? hundred percent. I mean, I think for our defense, you know, when you only have five, it's very difficult to practice because it's very difficult to practice anything full ice uh, because there's only one guy getting rest. Um, you can't have guys triple shift in the, even in practice because it's just not going to be beneficial. So it really changed the way we approach practice going into the BU game, which I didn't like. Um, I don't know how the players felt about it, but I'm guessing they didn't like it. Uh, and then uh, this week having, you know, Bookie available in practice the last couple of days, you know, albeit in a red, um, still, you know, allowed us to do a little bit more 200-foot uh, work on our game, 200 feet, which is a huge positive. And, you know, you can't practice the way we have to play, which is physical and heavy and get over pox. It's hard to practice that with limited numbers. So 
uh, this week was much more of a normal week, and hopefully that will you know lead to a really good weekend for us. You know, kind of going into last weekend too, uh, I, I was looking back. Uh, I had some time last week. I was looking back before going into last weekend. Uh, the second Northeastern game, the one that was at home, the UMass game that was at home, the UNH game, uh, the one that was up on the road. You guys didn't get the results in any of those games that you wanted, but you look back and you look at some of those games and, and you didn't play poorly in those games. I mean, those games were kind of right up, you know, kind of toss-ups. Uh, did it feel like – I feel like it usually kind of feels this way. When you're in a, a losing streak like this and you finally break out of it, you can almost kind of look back and say, well, you know what, we, this could have happened four games ago. That's when it really started to turn the corner. Did you get a sense, like going back even two weeks ago, that things were starting to turn around? You, you weren't necessarily getting the results yet, but the the wheels were in motion? I don't know if I could say that I felt like the wheels were in motion for that. I thought there were some games there. We played well, and the ones you mentioned are clearly the ones, particularly at home. Um, but my my feeling with our group, and we talked about it a lot, is just, you know, you got to keep your spirit no matter your situation. And, you know, once you give that lose your spirit, that means you gave it away because no one can take it from you. Um, but situations can, right, personal and, and professional and whatever, um, and we just kept talking about keeping our spirit, keep our spirit, keep moving forward. And I think our team's done a really good job of that, uh, of just staying together, staying positive, moving forward, getting to the next game, you know, being coachable, listening to what we're trying to accomplish stru- structurally, because uh, we've had to do a little bit more of it off of the you know, chalkboard and, and the film room be- than we could on the ice because of our situation. So um, I think our team's kept their spirit. I, I felt good about that i felt good going to that bu game and i felt good going in the unh game about where our team was at emotionally and mentally um and that's the most important thing at this time of year is your guys have to want to play and it you know even through the, the adversity of losing guys and not knowing who was going to be eligible for practice uh and also the you know the elves as they began to pile up um you know i i, I think that a lesser group of guys would have turtled and i don't think we have it all and i'm appreciative of the leadership that has kept us on course but you know hopefully we can take last weekend's success and and build off of that and continue to move towards the playoffs uh looking ahead to vermont this weekend what what do you kind of see from them on film in terms of the the areas of your game where you're going to have to be good to to go in there against them especially on the road well they're big and they're physical uh really physical both with and without the puck um, I think that the biggest challenge for us is going to be being patient in defending them because they're going to get between you and the puck and they're going to try to, you know, just grind you down. Uh, I would say that they're put, trying to play a similar style uh, as Maine, um, hard and heavy and, and a lot of pucks dumped line to beat your defense up a little bit. Um, you know, that's how I think they're trying to play. And, and in the games I watched, they were very successful in that. Um, you know, they don't have – you know, the, the Nadeau brothers and Lyndon Breen, uh, but they have some other guys that are, can really get up and down and, and, you know, be some of the better players in the league. So we we expect it to be a hard-fought games. We understand that uh, physically they're going to try to run us out of the building a little bit, and we're going to need to, you know, stick our chin out and, and come back at them. It, it, I mean, obviously you got the bye week coming up after after this weekend, so does that change the way you approach it at all? I mean, is it are you more apt to – do some things knowing that you've got a week off that maybe, whether it's shortening the bench or, or, or anything like does that knowing you kind of have the, the week off coming up after this, does it change the way you approach this weekend at all? 
I don't think it changes the approach, honestly, um, because we have five days in between games anyways. Uh, it does change, though, maybe the Saturday a little bit um, in ice time and just not worrying about what it might be from a minute's perspective on players. Uh, but our, our defensive, you know, the five of those guys all played 23 to 27 minutes in both games. Uh, Liam Dennison played close to 30 in the Saturday game. Uh, and I thought all of them came out of that really well. So I'm not worried from the back end about the ice time, uh, potentially for Bookie because he's coming off of an injury. But um, I think that the weekend off, what that kind of gives us is a little bit of a mental relax and a mental reset. And I think it's really coming at a good time for us, given you know being nicked up. And now with some guys leaking back, um, you know, hopefully two weeks from now we'll get you know everybody else that can come back, which actually that's only Mac Welser. Uh, that he could come back and and, get, and even bolster our lineup a little bit more. Um, then I think we'd be in a really good space heading into the Providence, BC, and then playoff uh, time, and that will be uh, it. Will be good. Those will be really good teams to prepare us for that. Um, and having a break, you know, just a week before that will help us just you know mend and get rest and get ready. All right, coach. Well, good luck this weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it.